Ask me, how do you put up with these two? My answer, good snacks and video games. All right, you guys, welcome to 218 of the Ron and Don Show. What is up, Ron and Don Nation? Yeah, we are live from the Les Schwab Studios, and don't forget, uh, you can always reach out to us if you want. Yeah, if you want any buyers, playbook sellers, playbook, you're thinking about getting in the real estate market or making a change in real estate this year, you can do it for free of charge. Ronandonsitdown.com. Just click on the word blog up at the top. You can pick the playbook you want and get it instantly. Uh, and then we can set up a sit-down after that. Yeah. Coming up on the Ron and Don Show, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about real estate and the market and uh, some helpful hints for you if you're thinking about buying or selling this year. Uh, we're also going to talk about the mayor of Portland who just pepper sprayed a guy outside of a restaurant. What's going to happen to the mayor? What's going to happen to this guy? This guy's an attorney. And uh, we'll give you an update on that. I have felt like pepper spraying some people recently. Ron, come over here. Uh, before we get to that, though, let's get to this. I, I was having this conversation with my mom the other day, who has always voted the Republican ticket. A lot of people in my family have. And, and I have, too, over the years. I, I have probably voted for more Republicans than have Democrats. And, and what's interesting is people always accuse me of being a liberal, of being a libtard, or they think they know the way that I voted. And they don't. Because if you if you if you've really listened to us over the years, I will play devil's advocate, and I'll just if Ron's taking one side, I'll take the other, and then we'll just kind of chip away at it. Because usually the truth is somewhere in the middle. The truth doesn't lie with the Democrats. It doesn't lie with the Republicans. I think most of us are Democrats in some ways and Republicans in other ways. Right? We're, most of us are, are pretty independent thinkers. Uh, at least I like to think. We we were talking about the the mob. In the other Washington, we're talking about QAnon, and and if you remember, the initial reports were, hey, it was it was a, it was a couple hundred people, and then it was well, maybe maybe it was over a thousand people. Well, now the documentation has come out about what really happened in Washington. It was tens of thousands of people that were there. Uh, there was a gentleman there that had just won a gold medal at the Olympics. Uh, there were lawyers there. There were doctors there. There were police officers there. There were five police officers from Seattle that were there. There were firefighters there. Uh, we also know that the, a, a fifth of the people that were there were either a soldier, uh, a security guard, a police officer, or some kind of frontline first responder that involves understanding weapons. If you remember when this was first unfolding and they were investigating this, they said, you know, we know that there must be police officers and soldiers in that crowd because of some of the tactics uh, that they were using. I've gone back and I looked at some of the video. The video is stunning. It is very violent. And for the people that say they didn't see the violence that was going on and the violence that was happening, how could you not? My question is this. If there were 74 million people that voted, because we're talking about unity right now, and I think in order to, to have any type of unity, you have to understand what has just happened in this country. If you have 74 million people that voted for the other guy, that voted for Donald Trump, and 81 million that voted for, for Joe Biden, they say maybe 20, 
maybe 20 million of those people are part of his base, right? Part of the base of, of this particular president and this politician. But what, what about those other people? What, what about those other people that also voted for him? Because in my conversations with those people, I don't see them backing down. I don't see them seeing the light. I don't see them wanting to meet in the middle. Uh, and for a lot of them, what they saw in the other Washington, they don't see anything wrong with that, which blows my mind. It blows my mind when you have five people that are dead, one of them being a cop. Now, two other cops, as I said, have committed suicide as a result of being there. And, and, as, and as I'm looking at this, I, I, I think it's a disservice to not take time and try to understand it and talk about it and just say, you know what? Those are fringe people. Those are crazy people. Those are people that are in the mob. Because what we're finding out is these were people, some highly educated, some highly trained, that came from all over America. And let's be clear. If the president didn't call these people to what? Because now we see that 400 of them have been charged. As I'm reading through the charging documents, they all came for one reason. Because he told them to come. He told them to come. They came. And now people are dead. Just the D.C. police to come over and help the Capitol of police. So far, the bill for that is $8.8 million just to have 126 of the D.C. police come to back up the 1,200 Capitol uh, police. And now we're also finding out that the National Guard was told to step, uh, step down and stay away, uh, according to some of the charging documents. I think the president, Trump, probably has something to do with that. And as this mob and as this riot was going on, he was very quiet. And finally, it was his daughter, Ivanka, that convinced him, hey, you got to go out and say something because these people have stepped over a line and this is going to be blamed on you. Someone just stole Nancy Pelosi's laptop and they're walking away with her lectern. This is not funny. People are dead. A cop just died. Uh, over 88 cops were injured in this. This was very, very violent, and it was much bigger uh, than people want to say. And as a result of this, I think we have to take some time and really try to understand it. And it's one of the reasons why, to me, impeachment isn't enough. What the president did when he called all these people to Washington is he committed a crime, and people are now dead because of it. Yeah, I mean, this is the trillion-dollar question of of how do we unravel this? And there are so many threads on it. I think about this all the time. Uh, one of the images that continues to come back to me is, and I, you probably didn't see it, but the movie Matrix, where you know you, you, Lawrence Fishburne has the red pill and the blue pill, and Neo has to make the choice. And the analogy is, if you're when you're in the Matrix, you can't see that you're in the Matrix. You have to go to the other side and take the, I forget which color pill it was, to gain the self-awareness to go, oh my God, there's a matrix going on and you're either on one side, you either understand that you're in the matrix or you don't. And so I think that when you talk about the, um, you know, the, the 50 million people or whatever the number is that you threw out, uh, I don't think they realize they're in a matrix. They have constructed a worldview based on some things that may or may not be true, a lot of it isn't true, and narratives that were fed to them that turned out to not be true. 
And so they're trying to piece it together. And in their mind, it makes some sort of sense. And I'm going to mix analogies here. Uh, and, and I know that the, when, when you play poker with somebody and somebody's winning and you don't understand why, their strategy makes sense to them. And so I can either sit there and are go... Are we in the Matrix right now and I don't know it playing poker? Yes. Or are we out of the Matrix not playing poker? We're, we're out of the Matrix. Or are we out of the Matrix playing poker? We are out of the Matrix playing we poker. we got a lot going on here. I do. Yeah. I'm mixing my metaphors. I'm making this up as I go along. The point is, is like if, if, if I'm sitting down with you and I think you're a horrible player... You'll give me a blue pill. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm giving you the red pill. You just made a mistake, and why did you play that way? And and that was so stupid, and and I can't believe you did that move, and and what an idiot, and you're a you're a terrible player. Except you've just taken all my money. Well, I, who's the real idiot? I whatever strategy you're using makes sense to you, and if it's working that day, it's making sense to you. So even though I can have a hundred reasons why I think you're bad and that I think it's the math isn't correct and I think you made a stupid move, it makes sense to you. And so I that's where we have to start. Whatever strategy and worldview those 50 million people have, it makes sense to them. And so we'll take the the lowest hanging fruit um, which is this whole battle that we've been talking about on the podcast that was one of the things that I think we got fired for, of saying, this is a white supremacist society. We need to take the pill, the red pill or the blue pill, and recognize that. I'm not saying that you're a racist. I'm not saying that you're in the KKK. I'm saying that if that is the society that we live in, and if we can't just accept that, and I know there's people listening right now that are going to be, you know, hitting pause or freaking out. Um, when you, as soon as you accept that and you go, okay, it's not my individual fault, but this is, this is how things are constructed. And then you look at the evidence. The evidence is a bunch of white guys with white wigs, older men, younger men, educated men, uh, went and sat in a room. And they said, hey, we just came from a monarchy, so let's build this thing, and we're going to pattern it after the monarchy. Uh, but at the same time, we're going to give the power to the people. But we're not going to give power to all the people. In fact, we're not going to give power to women, and we're not going to give power to black and brown people. We're going to give all the power to the white people. And we know that this is true. Now fast forward. Fast forward to when, when President Clinton was elected. When President Clinton was elected, 89% the people that voted in that election, not necessarily for him, but just 89% of all Americans were white. They were white. They were white. And the majority is men. Now fast forward to the election that we just had, 67% of the people that voted were white. So not only do we have a lot more minorities and women vote, but when people say, hey, I, I, I can't even believe that 74 million people voted for Trump or yet 81 people, 81 million people go out and vote for Biden. More people, more people entered the arena because they knew that this election would be so important. And if you're someone that supports Trump, you, you, there, if you're someone that supports Trump and we're honest about it, there's not a lot of black and brown communities that support him. 
And there certainly aren't as many women that support him as we see on the Democrat side. But there are people in there. You, you ha- and, and when you hear white supremacy, you start thinking KKK and white pillows and all that other stuff. We, we have to understand that older white men have the power or have had the power in this country. And they have a hard time giving that power away. And so in some ways, they see this, this election, this election took the power away. And so they marched on the Capitol to go take that power back. Right. So you you said that beautifully. So I think that's just one example. And where when you think of that group of people until... And I'm not saying that's that's a big one to change. That's a, a life changing paradigm. Well, there's a lot of people have to die. Older white men in this country have to die that that are uh, that won't share that power. Right. That look down on like an evangelical Christian uh, Christianity, where I learned where, where the woman is subservient to the husband. And the husband is the priest of his household, right? Well, what do you do when the majority of households now don't have husbands or dads in them? The majority of broken families are led by moms. So they don't have a priest in the household. and They are the priest, right? So a, a lot of that stuff that was taught to us growing up, and that's one of the reasons why the president had such sway with the evangelical movement and with, with Christianity in general, is because that is something that that he embraces and that and that he believes. So I'm just saying there's there's a lot of these matrix moments where we have to uh if you feel like you're on the side where you see the matrix to tr- try to get someone to see the matrix and if they don't and and be open to it when someone makes you see something you hadn't seen before. So having a mental agility and a, a flexibility where you go, "Oh, I used to do that." I used to believe in the bootstrap myth. I did. And I've had to let go of that. And it was hard uh, because I had to replace it with something that was hopefully more evolved. Um, It's difficult to do that. And if you're opposed to having that flexibility or opposed thinking that I know what's best, I know what's right for everybody, come follow me. It's just going to, it's just difficult. Some people are too far gone. And, 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 and and here's what I always ask people. Like I reached out to two of my family members this week just to kind of reconnect with them and let them know that I love them because this, this election was rather heated and, and they responded in love and it, and it was great. With one of my family members, though, and in, in, in going and talking about politics, because they say, well, we, we can't sit here and have these conversations at Thanksgiving or Christmas, or I can't talk to my family about it. That's one of the problems that people can't talk civilly about it. You should be able to. You should be able to have these conversations in your family. You should be able to have these conversations with people you love and care about. And you should be able to ask curious questions and learn from them. I had a niece share something with me this week. I... I because I asked her a curious question and she gave me an answer and it wasn't the answer that I was expecting. And I learned a lot from her in asking the question that I asked. And hopefully she felt good about the fact that she could express her opinion in a safe way without me trying to convince her that she was wrong. And that's the thing coming to a place where we can ask curious questions. Cause when someone's asking you questions, you, you feel safe in that, right? My mom asked me questions. I feel like I can tell mom, my mom things I, I don't tell other people. I feel like I can tell Ron things I don't tell other people. I, I even sometimes could tell my dog things that I don't tell other people. Oh, he's told me. <laughs> See you on the other side. 
Hi, I'm Ann Fitzpatrick, and I bought a house with Ron and Don. If you're downsizing, upsizing, or right-sizing, Ron and Don can help you buy, sell, or invest in real estate. It all starts with a Ron and Don sit-down. The second house that we went after, I saw it hit Zillow on Thanksgiving Day. I emailed them and I said, don't look at this today. It's Thanksgiving. Be with your families. And of course, they ignored what I said about don't work on Thanksgiving. And they absolutely worked on Thanksgiving for me. And we immediately got in with an inspector the very next morning, uh, you know, immediately started strategizing. Don pointed out to me, look, this is going to be sort of a bloodbath because people love mid-century modern. And, you know, he was able to tell me what the seller's strategy was and, you know, what it was likely to go for. And he had, you know, a strategy to get around that and to say, we're not going to wait. We're going to go in and we're going to get it early. He managed to do that. We actually managed to scoop up this house before anybody else had a chance. I'm just absolutely thrilled. I mean, I knew that this was going to be hard to find and get. And we did it so quickly and got just the perfect house in exactly where I needed it to be at a price that I feel really good about. So I could not be happier with my experience. If you find yourself dreaming about a new home, go from just a dream to the dream team. Schedule your time at ronanddonsitdown.com. Here's my dad and his boyhood friend, Mr. Ron and my dad, Don. All right, you guys, uh, welcome back to episode 218 of the Ron and Don Show. It's interesting we had the, the mayor of Seattle. Uh, Ron likes to call him Mayor Dumpster Fire. Uh, come in our studios and we're doing Terrestrial Radio a couple of years ago. And this is before all the allegations came out about him uh, playing with little boys and, and other things. Uh, and I thought it was interesting because when he came into the studio, he came in with a security detail. And then we actually went out because we, we want to t- talk about the homeless situation uh, here in Seattle. We've been riding him pretty hard and he was tired of it. So we want to have a conversation uh, so we went and we had dinner. We sat down with him. And boy, does he enjoy red wine. Really enjoyed the red wine. But I also thought it was curious that he had the security detail and it's full-time Seattle police officers that are taken off the streets and they're placed on the mayor's detail. And the thing I didn't like about it is we had a shortage of cops then. We really have a shortage of cops now because over 200 cops have walked off the job here in the city of Seattle. Uh, and if you've had to call 911 lately, they are not coming. They are not coming. In this neighborhood that I live in, you call 911, they are not coming, or they're coming six, seven, eight hours later, or maybe even the next day. So Ted Wheeler down in Portland, he didn't want to be that kind of mayor. Uh, he tries to be a little more progressive, maybe too progressive, as we see that, that city burn almost every night. So he doesn't have a security detail. Uh, that follows him around because he wanted those cops to remain on the street. And he thought, you know what? Those are taxpayers' dollars. I'm not the president of the United States. At the same time, there are people in Portland that have some really crazy opinions about him because they feel like the mayor there, in the same way that Jenny Durkin was having the summer of love here in Seattle, she knew if she if she ran again that that phrase right there would make it impossible for her to be reelected with the summer of love and just the pictures and what happened at the East Precinct. Similar thing kind of with Ted Wheeler, but what he has done is he has taken matters into his own hands and he carries around a big can of bear pepper spray. And there are different types of pepper spray, you guys. And the ones that the cops use 
or the ones that you use on a bear is not the same pepper spray that you and I would use if we just ordered online or we walked into a store because that stuff is military grade. And I've had that sprayed in my eyes before and I've shared that story. It is it is painful for almost 24 hours. Uh, and, and, and I see people that are pepper sprayed uh, sometimes when they're, when they're down marching. And I really, even if I don't like them that much, I want to go buy a gallon of milk because, Ron, when I got pepper sprayed, you had to do that for me and come over and just pour milk in my eyes. Uh, this happened down in Dallas a number of years ago. Anyway, he was out eating the other night in Portland, and there was a local attorney that spotted him. And the mayor is all about making sure that when you're out and about that you wear your mask in the, in the city of Portland. And he had just done a speech about wearing your mask with your mask on. He's, the mayor is sitting inside the restaurant with a former mayor of Portland, and he doesn't have his mask on. This guy sees this, sees the mayor walking out, and then he runs over to him, and this guy doesn't have a mask on. He's an anti-mask guy, a local attorney there. So he started asking the mayor why he didn't have his mask on. And the mayor looked at him and said, you know what? We need to be six feet apart right now. Six feet apart. And this guy said, we don't need to be six feet apart because you don't even follow your own decrees. I saw you in the restaurant. You didn't have a mask on. He said, well, I had a mask on. He starts explaining to him. He said, I had a mask on. Uh, before and after I ate. And in some restaurants in California, they want you to actually put the mask back on while you're chewing, which why would you want to go out to a restaurant anyway if you had to do all that work? That starts getting impossible, right? So he kept warning this guy and warning this guy and warning this guy six feet apart. And then he finally just told him, he said, if you don't get away from me and at least six feet apart, I'm going to unload this can of pepper spray on you. And the guy wouldn't budge. He's a foot apart. So he just unloaded the whole can. Hmm. Then he called the police. He filed a police report. He told the police what had happened. What do you think should happen to the mayor? And what do you think should happen to the guy? And what do you think happened with the mayor and the guy? Pepper spray him. Because now they've both been interviewed. Ah, boy, that's a tough one. Because um, you are a public figure. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and you and you know people have really emotional feelings about politicians in a city like Portland right now. Very, it's very very emotional. If you, I mean, there would be it's going to be an interesting legal ruling because you could say, like in the same way, if someone knowingly tries to infect someone with HIV, let's say, you could be charged for that. Um, this guy may or may not have been. You know, the mayor doesn't know if this person has COVID and is trying to deliberately infect him. So if he gave him verbal warning and the guy wouldn't comply, I would think my gut is it's going to go the mayor's way because he didn't just unload it. He told him his intention. He made a request along safety lines. The guy didn't comply and so then he unloaded the pepper spray. I mean, if I was Doug Llewellyn in the People's Court, I was go- I'm going to lean towards the mayor no, with the facts that you gave me. Yeah. And I haven't you, read anything You know else. what I always forget to do when something is going down like this? And we, we talked in episode, I think, uh, 216 about keeping your mind neutral. The thing you should always do is, re- is turn on a recording device. They turned on a recording device, and I don't know if it was the mayor or the, the the former mayor, but one of them turned on a recording device before he dispersed the pepper spray on this guy because he wanted the police and the public to see this. And it seems like the, the police 
and the public have sided with him. And the guy that did it now, because I think he has seen and heard the audio uh, and seen the video, and I think there's video, he has come out now and apologized. He has reached out to the mayor personally and basically just said he was having a bad day. Can we just put a bird on it? Yeah. And he's what's interesting, though, he's a pretty high-powered attorney there. And I think it was a guy out at a restaurant that probably just had too much to drink (laughs) and decided to go after the mayor. And as a result of that, he ended up with a face full of pepper spray. And to be honest with you, I, I, I think he deserved it. So if this does end up going to court for some reason... I think it's because the mayor takes it to court. So. Yeah, I have not been sprayed in the face with pepper spray, and I'm going to hopefully yeah. try to keep that streak alive. I will, I will tell you this. If I ever end up hanging out downtown again, last time I was downtown with you and, and we're on a date, and I don't know if you remember. You number, and I were on a date? When did we do a date? A number of years ago. We were on a, I was on a date, and, and, I, and I walked outside, and the person I was dating was a police officer at the time. And this, do you remember when the guy came at me and the things he started to say to me? And I can't, I can't repeat them. Vaguely. Uh, and she just, and, and you and her just kind of kept walking. I asked her later on, I said, why, why didn't you jump in there? She goes, I, cause I deal with that all the time. And she said, it was fun to kind of watch you have to deal with <laughs> what I deal with all the time. And she said, it looked like you had it pretty well handled. And, and this guy had me rattled cause he was saying, he he was an African American man. You could tell he had mental illness, and he he he. Oh, he, I remember this one. He had yeah. a lot of things to say, and then he had some things, naked wise, that he wanted to show me, and that he wanted me to do to him. And he just he had a whole, and it didn't rattle her at all because she just like that that that's what downtown Seattle's like. And See, I, like, I did the smart thing, and I walked away with with your date. You did, yeah. So, that's my move. I haven't seen her since. So uh, anyway, I think I think I would consider. Walk in the streets of Seattle with pepper spray. I, th- I, th- I think I would, be- because there aren't enough police. And by the time you call 911, whatever incident you're in is probably over. And and you're probably in trouble. So uh, I, th- I think we'll see more people doing that. I think it's pretty smart of Mayor, Mayor Wheeler to do that. So uh, anyway, uh, don't go anywhere, you guys. We'll see you on the other side of this. Let's get it done in 2021 with Ron and Don. All right, you guys, a final segment here on the Ron and Don Show. We are licensed brokers at Windermere. Uh, And Ron, something that I think we're beginning to see, and we're going to see more of this, is there are people, in fact, I was talking to one of our new clients the other day, uh, and she's not working, and she's in a situation where she's been able to call the bank and just say, hey, Maybe we can take the payments because the federal government is allowing this. Um, and they're allowing it to mar- – hey, Charlie. They're, they're allowing this to March, and then I think they'll probably extend it to the fall where you can take those payments and you can push them back to the back of your loan. Um, what we are beginning to see is people are saying, hey, my house is my nest egg. This is my retirement. I am cash poor, but I'm house rich. Do I punch out now? Do I sell now? Is there some kind of crash that's coming in the next six months? Or can I afford to hang on to this property this year until I figure out? Because, hey, maybe as things get better, maybe I get my job back and maybe I can stay in this property. And a lot of times what we try to do with people, we, we have told people before, don't sell this house right now. You, you, you sell this house in six months, 
or sell this house in a year or let's sell this house three years from now. There's just all kinds of reasons of why maybe you should stay in this house right now. What do you say to people out there that are, maybe they've lost their job. They have been able to defer those payments, but those payments at some point are going to come due. And, and is there a crash, a real estate crash on, on the horizon? What do you think? I, I found that in the way I believe, in the way I think, I think that most people do this backwards. And so they start with the premise that you just said. And in my mind, that's the wrong place to start for this reason. The most important question to me is what do you want to do? Where do you want to be? And so until you answer those questions, the, the asset doesn't make a difference because it could be stocks. It could be your house and house is different because you live there. You don't live in your stock portfolio, but you, people work through their lives and they acquire things. Some of them are assets. Some of them are just possessions, but that's, you know, we've acquired this life span of things. And so the real question is not whether or not I should sell right now or can't there's this illusion that we can somehow time the market or that we have a crystal ball and you can sell something at the exact peak like that that's just impossible like nobody can time the market nobody knows the future but what we do know is what our intention is and so what i like to try and and nudge people towards is saying what do you want where do you want to be and so for some folks it might be like hey i worked my whole career uh doing this and I, I want to go live on a lake somewhere in Eastern Washington, or I want to be closer to my family and they live in Wisconsin. And so th- that's what I want. And so once you've decide, made that decision, now the rest of it becomes a lot easier because then you can start having conversations of going, well, let's see what your house is worth and what feels better to you having a check for $800,000 and living in another state or maybe you live in an apartment for a year and figure out what you want to do or not having any money in your bank account, but you have this asset that is most likely historically is going to continue to gain value over years though, not over weeks or months or days. It could lose money in 2021, but in 2028, we think it'll be worth more. And, but if, I don't know if that makes sense. The, the real question is what do you want? And if you want to stay here and be in the game and you have the energy and you're energized by doing that, that's the answer. If you want to go somewhere else or have that security of, of having cash, that's the answer. Yeah. What I tell people too is what do you want to do with this piece of real estate and how can we manipulate it for this piece of real estate to make more money? And the, in the city of Seattle, because some of the zoning has changed and the zoning is much more favorable uh, for the city to go higher and denser. But even on your own SF 5,000 lot, a 5,000 square foot lot, a 6,000 square foot lot, you can now add two ADUs. So you could have two attached uh, dwelling units attached to your house. So that's two more doors of income. But now you're going to be a landlord. And do you want to be a landlord? Do you want people living on your property? Do you have little kids? And maybe you're concerned about having strangers if you had an Airbnb, for instance. Uh, those are considerations that I had to make in the way that I built my ADU and my DADU in the back. I always think about the security of my son first and the security of my family. So I had to, I had to manipulate the property in such a way uh, that I would be comfortable with that. But it's a huge capital investment too. 
So it makes the property worth a lot more money, but I've also had to dig in my pocket. It's a lot of work. But what I'm doing is I'm, I'm taking two doors. So I'm taking the ADU and the DADU when those are done. And the income from those two doors then pays for the third door that my son and I live in. But I can see a scenario, and tell me if I'm wrong here. When your son graduates high school and maybe is off to college somewhere on a scholarship or just getting his education or maybe he spends a year abroad or whatever, I could see a scenario where you say, you know what, during the wintertime, I would like to live in a sunny place. I'm going to take a piece of real estate and sell it. And I'm going to take that money and I'm going to live somewhere else part of the year. Uh, and that may or may not be true. I, I could see you doing that of going, yeah, when it's, when it gets dark at three o'clock, sure. It'd be nice to be in San Diego or to be in Phoenix or to be in Albuquerque or to be in Cancun or be in Maui or wherever it is that totally. had some sun. Yeah. And that is a lifestyle choice more than it is a real estate choice, but you're setting yourself up now so that when that day comes, at least you'll have the choice. Yeah. Yeah, and the other thing people should think about, if you have little kids like I do, and I have a 529 plan that is set up for him, uh, but I also have taken some of that money, I invested in a home, and so instead of dumping all the money in the 529, which is a college plan, which you will take money that you've already been taxed on, you'll put it in the plan. The good news is if you leave it in the plan and you use it for education for your kids, uh, all the money that you have made in the stock market, none of that will be taxed. Now, if you pull the money out, you'll get penalized for that. And if you use the money for something else, uh, there's a 10% knock that you'll get as a result of that. But what I've done is I, I've, I've taken a house and I said, okay, you know what we're going to do? Instead of putting all the money in this 529 plan, I'm going to take some of this money, invest it in a home. And now I have this home. It has three doors on it. So somebody else is paying the mortgage for it. I'm not. It actually cash flows. So there's appreciation, depreciation. And then when he's 18 years old, if he wants to travel abroad, which I never got to, I would love to see him do that. Uh, and if he decides that he wants to go to school, I am wide open to him not going to a university, maybe going to a trade school. Maybe he wants to do something different, uh, which I think would be great. So we talk about these things all the time. But I'll leverage that house and I'll pull money out of that house and I'll pay for whatever that education is going to be. And then at the end of that, you still have a house, right? You still have a house. So you've been able to pay for this education. When you, when you pull the money out of your 529 plan and the money's gone, you close that account and that's it. You pull the money out of a house, you can still manipulate that into the future. And then when my son is 40 and I'm dead and in the box... He'll get a little letter in the mail from my attorney, and that house will be his house. So he doesn't know that. Don't tell him. Wrong. What if he listens to the podcast? <laughs> I doubt your son listens to our podcast. <laughs> hey, you guys. Thanks for listening to episode 218. We really appreciate that. Uh, get signed up for The Nation News. Uh, and that way, it's a great way to stay in touch with us, right? Absolutely. Run it on sitdown.com while you're there. If you want that buyer's playbook, seller's playbook, it's right there. Instant download. Uh, you just click on blog and you can see both of them. Yeah. Thanks to Les Schwab. Three shows a week. Every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, it drops. Thursday! What's that? Thursday. Well, I listen to it on Friday. That's when it drops for me. Anyway, keep your head up. Keep your shoulders back. Let's stay in touch. All right? We are going to have more fun in 2018.
2021. And we'll see you next time only on the Ron and Don Radio Network. Hey, thanks for listening to the Ron and Don Show. Now keep your head up and your shoulders back and find some black belt courage. Ah! I'm not kidding. Ha, 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 ha.